Welcome to Hallmarked Up with Mary and Sarah. All right. So we watched a non-Christmas movie, dear listeners, and it was, you know, everything I expected it to be and a little bit more. Well, it's part of a series. What's the series called? The series is called Matchmaker Mysteries. Which is the reason we picked this one is because Danica McKellar, who everyone knows and, you know, loves or not, I don't know, from famously from Wonder Years, she is actually a matchmaker from Philadelphia, which is why we picked her. Because, of course, we are based in Philadelphia. Okay, I think it's the second one in the series. It's called A Fatal Romance. Yes, because it was about a romance novelist. When when a romance writer is murdered, matchmaker Angie Dove and Detective Kyle Cooper must read between the lines to find the killer. Yes, and so it stars Danica McKellar and Victor Webster, who is like another relatively typical Hallmark movie guy. And he's probably been in some Christmas movies as well. So this was clearly the second in a series of movies in which this matchmaker solves mysteries. And so I had never seen one of the Hallmark mystery movies before. And I think the best way to describe it is that it's like CSI if there was no blood ever. And everyone well, and also, fell also, in love. Very, also very limited cops. Because obviously if you're a matchmaker, you're capable of solving crimes. And right, right. So limited cops. But I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of detective series out there without a lot of cops. You know, like for a while, I got into Grantchester where he's like, you know, a country vicar who, um, you know, has way too many murders in his rural English town, um, that sort of thing. Or so, I also liked uh, Death in Paradise, which was it had cops, but there was like murders in this tiny Caribbean island. And you're like, whoa, I don't want to go there. It's way too many murders. But I think this thing with, like, a main character who is not a cop, who, like, collaborates with a cop, is a real staple of both the sort of murder mystery television genre and then also sort of murder mystery book series. I mean, like, Miss Marple's not a cop. I guess Poirot is a cop. Right. Um, But he's a retired cop, isn't he? I think so. Yeah. Well, and then this, in true Hallmark style, there's, like, obviously some, like, some kind of energy between the male cop and the female matchmaker that yes, you know, yes, but something at some point. But in classic Hallmark style, also there's also going to be sort of a red herring love interest who will throw us off the trail of Angie's true love for half a minute before we realize no, like her true love is clearly cop Kyle. Well, and not to mention that there's like always a sorry, there's only been two of these movies, I believe. And I have seen the other one, weirdly, several times, I feel like, now. But, because it's <laughs> according, every time according to Google, there's a third one. Oh, but. right. Okay. Well, the, I've seen one of them before. And even though there's, like, there's this weird love story between the cop and the matchmaker, there's always another story within a story, and that is the matchmaking that she has going on within yes. her own story. So, like, there are two potential love interest couples, even, Maybe more, depending on how her matchmaking is going. So this is Which, quite like a 
Hallmark murder Christmas-ish story, even though it's not a Christmas, but like the concept is all there. It's truly Hallmark. Sure, which is one of these, you know, as someone who obviously is not a big fan of these movies in general, I think I found this more enjoyable than the average Christmas movie, only because there was more going on. So first of all, you've got multiple suspects that have to be sort of investigated. And then there's more than one love story going on in that right there. You know, like one of the problems, I think, with a lot of the Christmas Hallmark movies is just that, like, they're trying to get two hours out of a 20 minute plot. Right. There's a guy that you should be with that has a Henley or a flannel top on and a guy that you shouldn't be with that has a suit on. Or there's a guy with a suit on who should be wearing a Henley. Well, true. That that is true. Sometimes change it up. But there's two costume options and there's often two guys and you have to figure out which one she's supposed to be with. But they're still still not hard to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. And and predictable for sure. For sure. All right. So let's try to recap this movie. Yes. So we start with meeting a very influential and popular writer of romance mysteries at a romance not romance mysteries romance novels at like a romance novel writers conference or panel or something like that her name is Beatrice Penn or B for short and so she's at this panel and Angie is um moderating the panel and it is to include Angie is the matchmaker of course Danica McKellar yes thank you Angie is the matchmaker And the panel is to include three writers, only two of whom show up, one of whom is Beatrice. While Beatrice is speaking, I I mean, like, long story short, she dies. Yeah. And we think she is poisoned in that. And I, which I believe is later confirmed by, you know, like, police work or some shit. So it's a very bloodless death. It's a very Hallmark Channel friendly death. We know that we can't have anyone getting stabbed on Hallmark. I'd be really curious, does anyone ever get stabbed in these? Maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. So anyways. I feel like there was a gun in the last one I watched, but I can't remember if anyone got shot. Oh, man. Well, there was a gun in this one, too. Spoiler alert. But nobody got shot. Right. Of course. Of course. So anyways, and so then we've got the various suspects we have to interview. So one is, we'll start with that panel, right? A few things happened at this panel. Number one was a crazed fan yelled at B that she, like, sucked and didn't care about her fans and then, like, stormed out angrily. And so, of course, Angie tracks this person down she is of course a suspect and it turns out she's angry because she and her dying grandmother have gotten really into this series of books and they really want the next book in the series and she's written to be to ask for it for her dying grandmother and b has ignored her letters right totally a reason to murder someone definitely (laughs) (laughs) yeah in that case i guess george rr martin should be worried but right we also so, run into um, Angie's ex-boyfriend, Ethan, who is also the publisher of B Penn's books, I believe. Yes? Yes, and he's inherited the publishing company from his mother. He's taken over for her relatively recently. And B is apparently unhappy with Ethan's work as publisher and has made this known to him. So he is another suspect. Yes, definitely. Um, suspect number two. Wasn't much to Angie's chagrin. on the panel? Was yes. also maybe a, a, a suspect? Yes. So the other person who showed up to the panel, I kind of forget what her deal ends up being, but she is also another suspect at some point. And I feel like she and B might have had some kind of professional rivalry. I don't know. It's really unclear. 
it got, it got resolved, I feel, rather quickly within the plot line. We also yeah. had her sister. So B's sister was her personal assistant for a very long time. We didn't really realize it was her sister for a, you know, I don't know, at least for a hot minute. And neither did Angie. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually we realized that it's her sister and that she's been working with her for a very long time. And we kind of find out eventually that like maybe a lot of the writing has been done by this sister and not actually by B herself. And though she seems a very affectionate and devoted sibling she will at some point become a suspect as well because she's definitely hiding shit. Right. And potentially her sister's getting all the glory for her very hard earned work, maybe. So, right. you know, she could be some pent up anger in that. Well, and eventually, got a pretty early in the piece, they decide that, and I can't really remember why, they had some like evidence that he was at her house or something, but they decide to arrest Ethan. The Wait, we forgot one of the suspects. What? Oh, did we? We forgot the third guy on the panel. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, actually, the third woman, if we went by his name. Right, because he was writing under multiple pseudonyms for his romance novel. He's writing under a woman's name. I forget what it was, but his real name is Neil Garfunkel, which... It would be a a male romance writer that would just be wrong. Not like Nicholas Sparks exists or anything like that, right? He He said no. But anyway, why would he be a possible suspect? Just because we, well, she, he, she, we didn't know anything about her and we just couldn't figure out who she was, right? Well, and I mean, I think she just wanted to talk to everybody involved and see what was up with that. And like, why didn't he show up? And so she goes and talks to him and he's like, oh, well, I had car trouble. And then like his wife comes in and she's like, oh my gosh, you're talking to Angie Dove. I love you. You're my favorite. And then she's like, oh, how do you know Angie Dodge? She's like, oh, I just came to talk about this panel that, like, you know, your husband didn't make it to because of, like, the car trouble. And she's like, car trouble? What car car trouble? trouble. And he's like, remember, honey? Remember when my car broke down? And so, like, he's kind of a suspect as well. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Right. So he also becomes a suspect. But anyways, Ethan gets arrested. That's right. Ethan, they decide to arrest her her ex-boyfriend, Ethan. And I believe it's because they had some, like, footage on a camera of his car like at her house or something and I don't know at any rate yeah there's another reason but it wasn't good I forget what it was a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing to Ethan but then I mean a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing to a lot of people but then I also wrote down here that the ex-husband of her was at her house as well oh yeah so we yeah you're right another suspect we forgot there are a lot of suspects in this there's a lot of suspects in this which to be fair like like Mary sort of stated before this is a complicated plot line for Hallmark. So it's interesting to see their mysteries like step it up like a few notches on the standard Hallmark channel. Well, and what's interesting is the fact that it is a more complicated plot line kind of lays bare several things about Hallmark movies, which is that like they weren't only bad because they have no plot. They're also bad because they're just bad. Correct. (laughs) There's no denying that. So, okay. So now we are, let's see. Oh, and there's also a subplot where Angie is setting up someone on her matchmaker show, oh, yeah. right? Of course she And the is person she's setting up is this, like, high-powered career woman. I can't remember if she's, like, a lawyer or if she, like, has a business or something. Anyways, and she wants someone else who is equally, like, high-powered and, like, six-figure making and so on and so forth. So Angie introduces her to the wrong person who fits all of her criteria of everything she wants. And he is this go-getter. And she's talking to her assistant and she's all like, oh, there are no sparks. Like, no, of course there aren't sparks. She's like, sometimes in order to realize what we think we want is not what we want, we just have to get it or something like that. 
And so anyways, and then she sets him up with the right guy who turns out to be like an elementary school teacher or something like that. And And so that seems to be like a commonality with these sort of like matchmaker mysteries. Like I said, there's always like a subplot within the plot about actually setting up the right people together, which is distracting, but kind of a nice little... I guess for Hallmark viewers, right? To offset the murder, we have to have like a happy thing going on in the background. Right, right. So, I mean... Not that the murder is all that distressing, honestly. It's kind of like, I mean, to be fair, I'm also, I'm a big fan of Agatha Christie. You read like a Miss Marple mystery and it's never like, it's never terribly violent and upsetting. Like this thing happened and everyone's like, oh dear, I'm so shocked. But really it's just like a very pleasant older woman who's just like knitting and offering you tea and solving the murder. Like, and it's great. That's true. So, I mean, there is some appeal to these very like escapist kind of like pleasant murder mysteries, you know? Yeah, and the channel itself has, like, Diagnosis Murder on, and they have, like, Murder, She Wrote. And, you know, they they have some of these, like, more classic murder TV shows on. So, you know, like, they they know what they're doing. So, at least they support what they're doing. So, as the movie sort of gets on, so we do find out that the ex-husband of her, like we said, was also in that house the night of the murder. Mm -hmm. So... But all this time, the ex-boyfriend is still kind of, like, locked up, or at least under arrest. He maybe gets out of jail for a bit, but, like, they still think he's the prime suspect. Eventually, we see that the sister, the ghostwriter's sister, has some rat poison. So now we're all very yeah. curious about the, about the rat poison. Then we talked about how, eventually, the sister realizes this thing with the grandma of the woman who was the crazed fan. And so to like sort of wrap all that up and to remind us that maybe the sister isn't so bad and neither is the crazed fan and to like take them off the list of suspects, this ghostwriter sister agrees to give the dying grandmother the manuscript so she can read it before she dies or whatever. So then she can't be the killer because the killer wouldn't do that. No, exactly. Two nice of things to do. So then, as the movie sort of carries on, we find out um, that B was having an affair with the Neil Garfunkel, who is actually the woman pseudonym panelist that didn't show up for the panel. Right, the one with quote-unquote car troubles. Yes, so his excuse was not panning out anymore. I'm sure there was some kind of altercation, which I don't really remember how it happened. But, I mean, he holds a gun to her head, to oh, yeah. Angie's head. Because eventually, he, you know, Angie works out that in reality, it's not... She, she's dead set that it's not her ex-boyfriend because she knows Ethan and he would not do something like this. And so she sort of sets out, as any matchmaker would do, to uh, solve a crime in their spare time. So she finds out that why she thinks it would be this guy, Neil Garfunkel, and the reason is because B was going to go to his wife to say they're having an affair and he did he wanted to silence her. So essentially in the end, do you remember how he actually killed her? Was it some... was poison, wasn't it? Yeah, but like did they drink something in her room? I can't remember. Yeah, that was another thing that they were trying to make happen, but it wasn't really that compelling or interesting. And it was like she started coughing at some point during the presentation and then they gave her something to drink. And it was like, oh, could that have been poison? Like, no, it couldn't have been that. This thing doesn't act that quickly. So I don't know. I can't remember. But the other thing that gave him away was that um, she found a cuff link in the hotel room. 
that B had been staying in that had his initial on it. His in- Oh, his cufflinks, that's right. Yeah, but it wasn't his like real initial. It was the initial of one of his other pen names, which when you think about it is a really tenuous link, but whatever. And it happened to be the same initials as Ethan, right? Yes, that's right. It was an E. And so it was like, oh, it's Ethan. But And I mean, Ethan, like, for a while he looked kind of guilty only because, like, I don't know, it would have been, like, kind of a cool twist to have her, like, so dead set on defending the guy that turns out to be guilty. But this is Hallmark, so it's not going to have that kind of twist. She can't be, like, half in love with the killer. Exactly. And, of course, on the side of all of this is, like, this, like, tension between her and the cop Kyle so like yeah she's not gonna get with Ethan she's definitely gonna get with Kyle but it wasn't in this movie it's definitely like a to be continued sort of romance not not happening yet so in the end Neil Garfunkel goes to jail Ethan gets released and the girl who needed a match gets the match with the teacher and that sort of wraps everything up right yep all right that's a good bingo. Congratulations. Okay, so okay. we're going to try and apply some of our Christmas movie concepts to this uh, Hallmark Movies and Mysteries mystery movie. We're working out that's not exactly quite right because the formula is not exactly the same, but we're going to try. So in, t- in terms of the bingo moment, so obviously as our our relatively regular listeners would know the bingo moment is about the most cheesiest Christmas thing that comes up. So obviously this is not exactly applicable, but. But there are still very like cheesy Hallmark things, even if they're not Christmas things. The cheesy Hallmark. And I would say mine is that there has to be like a, a love story within the mystery. Like I was fine with accepting that she was a matchmaker that would have sat on this panel of romance novel people personalities but, like, the fact that we have to still see that she's doing some kind of job and it's a love story that happens within the murder, like, that's a bit, that's too much for me. What about you, Mary? Well, I mean, it might actually be the fact that it stars Danica McKellar, who, of course, is this, like, child star that we all forgot existed for a while. She was in The Wonder Years. I didn't even know this. Sarah told me this. So she kind of has that sort of, like, nostalgic feel to her that might appeal to some viewers. Like, oh, yeah, that girl from The Wonder Years, whatever happened to her. Which is a very Hallmark thing to do. Obviously, you've got Candace Cameron Bure, who stars in a ton of the Christmas movies. And she's obviously from Full House. The woman who played her sister in Full House is also in some some of the Christmas movies. Yeah. Another sort of, if I have to boil it down to a moment, another very Hallmark bingo moment for me is one of the moments when Ethan's just been arrested. And she's being asked, like, well, why couldn't Ethan have done it? And she's just like... Well, because, and there's just this, like, absolute, like, blind devotion to this, like, lover of her past. That's, right. that's, that's very... very true. That's a good call. Like, the fact that she just, like, immediately knows that there's no way it's her ex-boyfriend whatsoever. Which is why it would have been kind of a nice twist to have it be him, honestly. But, but Hallmark did not go there. No. And well, so then think- we also traditionally talk about a relatable moment. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that. So, yeah. So, the next segment we always would do is relatable. This is harder. A lot harder. And we always struggled with this in, in the Christmas movies, to be fair, because they're so ridiculous. But, like, you know, matchmakers who solve crimes, that's not a very relatable thing at all. So, so it was hard. So, I went really cheesily and picked that they read books. And, and I find that a bit relatable. And even occasionally... 
I'll read a cheesy romance novel to just like be a bit escapist, especially in these times. So I found that relatable. What about you, Mary? Well, I was excited that it was set in Philadelphia and at the beginning and sort of like the opening credits that have got all these shots of like, you know, places in Philly and there's like the Rocky statue and the art museum and like um, the Skewkle and like all of this stuff that I recognize. And there's probably a cheesesteak in there somewhere. There's probably a cheesesteak. I don't know. I missed it if there was, but it wouldn't surprise me. So that was very cool. The problem is then like it was really only that opening sequence because they very obviously did not shoot the movie in Philly. And so nothing other than that looks the slightest bit Philadelphia. Um, and it's not even really like, like Philadelphia police office or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like... Yeah, that's that's beautifully fake. So, yeah, I mean, like not that I think they frequently film murder mysteries and like real police officers for anything but they were definitely they definitely like you know at the beginning try to have this association with this city with this character to it and then like just abandon it entirely as soon as the opening credits are over so there was that and we were a bit like oh yay philly like mary said but then it just it just did not carry through at all no and i spent like a grand total of three minutes being like Oh, they're in this hotel at a conference. I wonder what hotel that is. And then I'm like, you idiot. They're definitely not actually. I was just going to say that. Like, they didn't even pick, like, a hotel facade that's actually a hotel in Philly, which is, like... Yeah, just, like, yeah, they didn't even try. Which, like, eh, it's fine. I mean, they, to be fair, I'm sure they've been like, doing that in all the other Hallmark movies as well. We just didn't notice it because it wasn't Philadelphia. It was probably, like, Philadelphia Conference Hotel or something like that, if it's called. <laughs> like, it didn't yeah, even something. have, like, a real name. Right. Well, those are, those are pretty far stretches, but at least we got there. Now, our last segment, of course, is when we would technically rewind and rewrite the whole thing. Now, this is a little bit different in, in these kind of movies because, one, they're not so stereotypical, like so predictable. They're not... Then, to be fair, this is like kind of someone would argue, a strong female lead character. So she has a job. Yes, she's a matchmaker and she's on television and whatever. But she's solving crimes as her hobby. Like, that's not what a Hallmark Christmas heroine does at all. She's a high-flying person who maybe has a career but gets distracted by a love interest from, you know, half her lifetime ago or something. You know, and so- she's... She's a fun character. She's for what she is, which is a Hallmark heroine. She's a well-written Hallmark heroine in that, like, she's smart, she's clever, but she's also really endearing and sometimes does sort of silly things. But they're not just, like, dumb things. They're, um, you know, like, where she's trying to, you know, pull rank with that guy in the hotel and be like, well, actually, I'm Angie Dove and trying to use that to get up to the hotel room. And she fails at it spectacularly, but it was like kind of cute and funny. And so, I mean, like for what she is, like they write her well. Yeah. Which brings me to... Strong enough personality for sure. Much, much more different than the usual heroines of the Christmas movies. Which brings me to um, sort of thinking about like, what is it that I enjoy about murder mysteries when I enjoy them because I love murder mysteries, mostly literary. I don't watch a ton of murder TV, but but I adore them. And I think that, you know, there are two different kinds, like there are two different ways for me to enjoy a murder mystery. And one is that very Agatha Christie, sometimes Dorothy Sayers does this too, this very sort of like quaint, comfy, cozy murder mystery where like 
it's, you know, everybody's going to act like it's quite horrid, but it's actually not quite horrid. It was actually very, like, tame, and everyone's going to speculate, but then at the end, little Miss Marple, over her tea and knitting, is just going to explain to everyone exactly what happened, like it's no big deal. And you walk away from it feeling not the slightest bit disturbed, because it's actually all fine, except that there was some, you know, there was some excitement. The other type is more like the Tana French type, who I personally feel is the best murder mystery writer um, alive and working today. And hers are a lot more gritty and psychological. And so if we look at this movie, it's definitely not the ton of the ton of French type of murder mystery, but it kind of is that Miss Marple type. Is it as complex as an Agatha Christie? No, but to be fair, Agatha Christie wasn't always consistent. Like she had really good ones and then really mediocre ones. You know, is it as compelling? No. But for some of what I get out of um, some Miss Marple mysteries, I can see how this would appeal to people. If what you want from it is not is not a real puzzle and it's not a real thrill, but is this kind of escapist amusement, I, I can see the appeal. Right. Well, and the one thing we noted when we were sort of recapping in our heads ourselves is that most of the way through the movie, I thought the murderer was the sister. And Mary thought it was the ex-boyfriend. So they did, although the point of the murder mystery, as Mary rightly pointed out to me when we were sort of discussing this, is not necessarily to trick you. We didn't figure it out. So it wasn't where, when you were watching a Hallmark Christmas movie, 10 minutes in, we know exactly what's going to happen. Right. Without a doubt. Definitely. You don't even need to watch the rest of it. So the fact that this movie kept us guessing almost up until the end, is definitely a bit of a plus for the traditional Hallmark Christmas movie genre. Though I do want to point out, as a connoisseur of the genre, that, you know, as Sarah said, the point of a good mystery is not necessarily just to trick you. It does need something more than that. And so, you know, I know a lot of people who read or watch a murder mystery, and if they can figure out who the killer was early on, then they're like, oh, it was no good. But for me, it's not just that. So there should usually be something you could pick up on early on that could lead you in that direction. But in this movie, if there was that something, it was just the killer essentially having lied about his car troubles. But there, but A, that wasn't subtle. It's not hard to pick up on. And B, there was kind of a that level suspicious hiding something thing going on with literally every suspect. So if you figured it out early on, it wasn't because you were clever or you picked up on something subtle or because you, you know, followed a trail followed a trail that was available to you before the detective did, it was because you just had like a gut instinct that shows this obvious hint over these five other obvious hints. Right. And that made it a little bit more engaging than the average Hallmark Christmas movie, I would say. Yeah, it did. But it also didn't make it like a great murder mystery. But No, no. We're not writing the history books here on murder mysteries, but... To me, it was a nice break from the super predictable. Yeah, and, that's true. I mean, we even have had, of course, in this time of lockdown, as we talked about when we did our bracket, you know, so many movies on to, like, take us away to Christmas Dreamland or whatever. And I haven't really seen any in this whole entire time because I just didn't know if I could watch them. But this one was actually kind of interesting to watch by comparison because it had a bit more of a storyline and, you know, it's a bit more interesting than the typical. So I think if we're going to rewrite this, I think what we need to do is we need to give this movie what it's missing. And what it's missing is Christmas. Whoa, good call. How would we do it? 
I mean, I think that the killer was not another novelist on her panel who failed to show up. He was instead the like rental Santa Claus who was scheduled to show up and didn't make it, who then turned out to be her lover. And so we have this dark, sinister sort of Santa Claus thing going on to subvert our expectations. I like it. That could be really good. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, we can change sort of some of the other characters to be appropriate as well. And so, you know, the fan and her grandmother are spending, you know, her grandmother's dying. We've already established that. The spending was likely to be her last Christmas together. And it should definitely be on Christmas Eve that the manuscript is delivered to her. And she gets this extraordinary Christmas present of this thing she can enjoy with her, her granddaughter. Yeah, this movie was definitely lacking Christmas decoration. So, you know, putting that True. back into the mix would definitely make it a bit more. And then I definitely want Rocky statue to be wearing a scarf in the intro. Are there, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Are there any, like, you know, they kind of do, like, the Jane Austen kind of themes. Are there any, like, mystery Austen movies, books, sorry, that we could, like, incorporate into this somehow? Because I feel like that would just make it, like, the ultimate Christmas mystery murder thing. I mean, for, like, a completely different movie, you mean? Yeah. Well, we so, do, you know, we've seen... We might be able to come up with another movie altogether, even though this one did okay and veered away from the traditional. So we wondered if we could compare it to Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey. Right, because we've seen, you know, Christmas at Pemberley Manor or whatever, and Sense and Sensibility and Snowmen, mm-hmm. and we've seen all of these other sort of, like, Christmas spins on Austen. Well, what if we do, you know, a spin on Austin mystery? And Northanger Abbey is probably the closest Austin ever came to writing a mystery. I actually reread it very recently. It might be my favorite Austin. So you've got 17-year-old Catherine Moreland. She goes to Bath for the first time, um, meets a young Mr. Henry Tilney, and falls head over heels for him. Also makes good friends with Isabella Thorpe, who is a very silly young lady who has designs on several different gentlemen, including the limited to Catherine's sister. Like, long story short, Catherine ends up going to Northanger Abbey, which is where the Tilneys live, and she ends up kind of, um, she reads a lot of gothic romance novels, a lot of Anne Radcliffe, a lot of other awesome shit like that. And she ends up kind of, like, suspecting Tilney's father of having killed his mother. And it definitely, like, didn't happen, but it's kind of where her imagination goes for a while. So, anyways, we could definitely hallmarkify that and Christmasify that. And I think that, you know, we, j- we just have to call it like Christmas at the Abbey or something like that. Right. Where, um, you know, we're going to have a harrowing go. And, like, if this is modern times, then we're going to have them doing something very, like, old-timey Christmassy that'll be much more Victorian than Regency. It'll be very Dickensian and there'll be carolers and there'll be, like, wassail and, like, all that sort of thing. And at some point, we're going to have the heroine sort of delve into the skeletons in the closet and make oh. a mystery out of out of nothing, a mystery out of, you know, something out of the Abbey's history that is not will not turn out to be real. Do you think it would still involve like the dad murdering the mother? It could. I don't see why not. I mean, I guess that's kind of dark, but it's going to be dark, right? has to be a murder like that's the whole point of murder movies to be fair they don't call it murders and mysteries they call it movies and mysteries but still there's something sinister about this network 
Yeah, and so she is looking into that, and it turns out that actually she's sort of fabricated all the evidence, and everything can be very easily explained away, as it is in, you know, Austin sort of thing or Abby. In, in the end, of course, you know, Tilney will propose on Christmas Eve or something, because obviously. Oh, very nice. After he gives her a copy of his favorite gothic romance for Christmas. That's great. That's a great rewrite. I know, wouldn't it be? And we, we should, you know, we haven't done a lot of work on trying to write our own. I did see, follow our our friends over at uh, the... Deck the Hallmark? Uh, Deck the Hallmark. And they have actually, like, been trying to pitch to get one of their movies written for Hallmark. Oh, um, nice. So, you know, we're going to have to step it up a bit. But it's just potentially, I would say, as we sort of go into summer... And maybe our workloads get a bit lighter. We might get to start working on that a bit. But I do think if you haven't listened to Deck the Hallmark, obviously check out those guys. They are doing some pretty funny stuff. They had a whole like little film they put together in this time of what their movie would be about. And of course, it was about two people that hated Christmas and they fell in love. <laughs> of course it was. That's, um, that's awesome. I love it. So we're, we're still thinking about what we're going to write as well. Uh, it was nice to do something a little bit different. I did notice, and I, um, Mary and I haven't watched one yet, but we might look at uh, trying to do one of the um, the post office mystery things, signed, sealed, delivered ones. Oh yeah, because well, I love the post office so much, and they're so important. And especially, you know, right everybody now. should call your representatives, and you know, I know we don't usually get very political on this, but. And tell them to save the post office because yeah. I think that should be something that's everyone can agree on. Yeah, it's and wonderful. buy stamps, buy whatever stamps you can right now. I do think we really should watch one of these movies because they are actually kind of good. All right, like, they they get a little bit Jesusy, which is not usually my thing, but the the fact that it's about the and that's even even weirder that like it's totally about ch- church and state in one movie, but the post office. Essentially, if you don't know about these movies, something goes missing in the post, and the it's like investigators have to go figure out what happened to it. And so I'm I would so mind sitting down with one of those with Mary. They have a Christmas one. I gotta try and ch- track it down, see if I can re- get that, or um, try and record one that we can watch. That's a bit of late because uh, it's um, they're they're quite good. And even if we did an old one, I think it would be nice to sort of feature a post office mystery. Definitely, definitely. All right, well, we will look forward to another one, a few more one-offs here and there. We don't know what Series 2 will bring in terms of Christmas movies. I don't even know if Hallmark was able to get any of them done in time for next season. So it'll be interesting to see what what we're Oh, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. You know, like, if we really stop production in March, like... But who knows? Maybe they start in, like, September and they're all rocked in for next December. I don't know. I unironically think we're going to see a movie called Christmas in Quarantine that they've filmed using like the bare minimum, like, you know, maybe like Zoom technology or something where um, that, that basically justifies them not having a set. Right. Right. Because they'll just be like people talking to each other in quarantine at Christmas time. I have to admit, I, there's, I really hope we're not still doing this at Christmas time, but we could oh, yeah. come back to it. I mean, I also hope we're not doing this at Christmas time, but... But we just really don't know right now, do we? But yeah, thank you for listening to this latest episode. We'll definitely get the word out on social media and the likes when we get another episode happening. But um, I'm, I'm betting it's going to be a Science Seal Delivered movie because I'm really keen to show them to Mary and introduce her to this genre that is 
post office mysteries. All right, I'm into it. Let's do it. You know what I bet happens at the end of the science sealed delivered movies? What? Of course. They and will. will fall, fall in love. In love. <laughs> You can find Hallmarked Up all over the internet at www.hallmarkedup.com, on Facebook at Hallmarked Up with Mary and Sarah, on Instagram at Hallmarked Up. And don't forget to look for our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more.